everybody, welcome back to the Retail Ready Podcast. We are on episode number 41 and today we have a blinder. In today's episode, I got to hang out with Tony Hunter, a food futurist. While most people my age are trying to follow celebrities and C-grade influencers, I follow trends and people of influence within the retail and food world. And Tony is someone who is at his top and someone I listen to when he speaks. Tony uses a host of platforms, insights, knowledge. He advises companies, clients and investors what the food industry will look like in 10, 20 or even 30 years. He says it clearly, he doesn't have a magic ball, but he knows his stuff. I honestly loved recording this episode and Tony had so much insights and knowledge bombs that I was just wide mouth, opened eyed, just taking it all in. Can't wait to meet Tony when he's in Melbourne in February. But for now, you guys listen to this episode, let me know what you think and chill out, switch off and enjoy episode number 41. Welcome to the Retail Ready Podcast, hosted by Ben Wyatt, your destination for product development, food trends and some serious knowledge bombs about the food industry. Cheers, Tony. Thank you very much for uh, doing a podcast with me. I I honestly don't know where to start with this episode. Um, you're kind of you're kind of like a celebrity in my eyes. Uh, but firstly, welcome to the show, Tony. How are you doing? Thanks very much for having me, Ben. No, no, I mean, a celebrity, I think you might be overstating things a little bit there, but I appreciate that. And it's a pleasure to be on no. the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been an interesting year, and it's been a. I didn't think this podcast would uh, would grow to kind of the the small heights. I'm not going to say it's a it's a global phenomenon at the moment, but it's a, it's it's grown higher than I've expected. So it's great to have people like yourself on who who we're just going to go for it. You're you're a futurist, Tony. You're you're a food futurist. Um, uh, we we discussed offline a couple of weeks ago about the questions I'd want to ask you. I I honestly don't know where to start, but I just I think let's go for it. Who who are you, Tony? And yeah, how uh, what's the role that you do? And how did you become a food futurist? Well, Ben, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, my background is food science and technology, and that's where I come at it from. I've been in the food industry for over thirty years, done a lot, particularly for the the meat industry in that time done everything from um, running factories, making pizza toppings for Pizza Hut to consulting for global meat companies as well. And that was where I sort of got interested in the future of food was around about the end of 2017, you know, you you get these odd newsletters and things like that you read. And I kept seeing all these things on some of these new technologies coming in you know, the early days of plant-based with people like Impossible Foods and people talking about, you know, cell-based meats. And then there was genomics coming in, synthetic biology. I thought, wow, this is really, really interesting stuff. And to me, represents a real, represented a real fundamental shift in food. Food has really been, compared to things like electronics and AI, a pretty sleepy old place to be. You know, we get a couple of percent increase in sales and we get a few percent drop in our cost of goods we figure that's a pretty good year but you look at some of the exponential changes coming in that's what really attracted me to to really get more involved and look a lot deeper at what's going on in the future of food 
That is fantastic. So you've had, you've got thirty years experience under your belt. When when did you become? When did you go right? I'm going to look into becoming because you're 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 a consultant. You're self employed. You run your own business. Um, when did you when did you go full steam into that? Well, I've been a consultant generally to the food industry for about eighteen odd years. I've right. lived in Melbourne for a few years, like you do now, Ben, but decided it was way too cold yeah. for me. Although today we're, we're cool <laughs> in Melbourne today, so it's a bit, tell it's me about it. Sounds... I, I was there for three winters, which was two winters too many for me. I just can't handle the cold. Um, and decided, well, I wanted to come back to the warmer climes of of Queensland, so came back as a consultant. And as I say, then round about you know, end of 2017, early 2018, got more interested. Then round about mid-2018, I saw the uh, Good Food Institute conference on in San Francisco in September. And I thought, gee, if I'm serious about this, I've got to go over there and see what's going on because this is a real cutting edge um, area of the food industry. So I went over there to San Francisco, mm. had a fantastic time, met a whole bunch of new people, new contacts, saw what was going on over there and went, right, well, this future of food, that is really going to be a growing opportunity um, to provide some consulting services and based around technology because a lot of futurists, you know, they'll tell you everything from flying cars to blockchain to AI to, you know, whatever, including food. But I sort of go, well, no, I'm just focused on food. So I focus on helping companies understand how all these new technologies are going to affect them. And I'm looking here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years out, not next year's strategy or the five-year plan or whatever. It's how's it going to be in 10, 20 or 30 years? How fundamentally different is the food industry going to be? Because I don't think we're going to recognise the food industry in 20 years' time. I think we'll just look back and say, wow, that was the food industry back then. 2019, 2020, now 2040. Wow, look how things have changed. That's so exciting. And I'm, I'm, one of my questions, and I'm sure everyone who's listening to this will want to know what does the future look like, but we'll, we'll touch on that later on in the episode. I'm, I'm keen to understand question number one would be, you, you say you met these cool people, other futurists in different areas. How many actual food futurists would you believe there are floating around in Australia uh, and beyond? Have you met many of uh, the same people as yourselves so that you can have a Christmas party or anything like that? I've met quite a few futurists in person and online, but those focusing just on the food industry seem to be very few and far between. Do a Google search, you might come up with half a dozen or a dozen, I think, maximum. Um, for instance, next year I'm off to the, the UK, to Foodex in the UK at the end of March. Uh, they have a food futurist that they had last year who was unavailable and um, was off to Canada. And the lady said, you know, look, we had trouble finding someone else. So that's why they're bringing me in to the UK from Australia wow. to talk on the future of food on a panel and to give some presentations on other things in the future of food because there just aren't that many around. That's fantastic. And 
probably to jump back to that then if you're heading over to the uk would you say that the the insights that you have on the future of food work from a global scale or do you just look at country specifics and then that goes on to my second question as to how do you actually look to the future like what what kind of skills and um kind of techniques do you use to 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 work out what the future looks like i think um to answer the first part of your question there ben it's definitely global i mean the connected world and everything has become a cliche but it is Mm -hmm. so true things that happen in the u.s things happen in the uk and europe they could you know they turn up in australia very very quickly they have a great influence on where we go and particularly uh, in food. If you have a look at the transfer of technologies, they're now so easy compared to what they used to be. So I think it's definitely a global view of what's happening. If you restrict yourself to what's just happening in any one country, you are going to be so restricted, it's not funny. I mean, the US in a lot of areas is maybe two, three years ahead of us in some of our technologies. The UK, similarly, they can be a little bit behind the US, but they're a bit closer. So I think unless you keep up on a global front, you miss out on a lot of those, what we call, the the future is called the signals of what's going on. And that sort of, I suppose, brings me to the second part of your question, which is how do you find out what's going on? How do you keep track of it? Well, I spend at least one to two hours every day just going through all the information that's available and looking for what that Mm means i see a lot of things people will post something here's a link to you know the latest plant-based food and that's all there is i like to look at that and go but wait a minute what does that actually mean what's the important part of this story and often what i find is if you look deep enough there's something different there to what might necessarily be in the headline and you sort of look at that and go, ah, that's actually the important part of this story, not necessarily what's been focused on in the article itself. So, yeah, I have a whole range of newsletters that I get from the food industry, um, from biotechnology, synthetic biology. I have my Google alerts. So I have a whole range of things which I then sort of sift through and file away to have a look at and say later on, okay, what does all this mean? Because that's the thing. You see lots of this stuff there. You see lots of stories. You hear lots of things. But in the end, you've got to put it together and say, what does this actually mean? What are the possibilities that this is opening up? Wow. It's it's interesting because I did, I did a talk a couple of weeks ago, and it's not to the scale uh, that you're on. But it's kind of working out how do I piece together the trends that I see and I'm talking 12 months to 18 months. So I'm nowhere in your league of 10 to 20 years. Um, but it's kind of using different techniques to pull together the information. So I use like, yeah, what are people talking about on social media? Um, what do people do? What apps are they downloading and piecing together that information? Whereas it seems like you're looking at a, such a wider scale and that's that's an absolute huge insight on my behalf to kind of step up my knowledge and step up my um experience and uh appreciate the insights on that and is 
is there a go-to kind of platform that you use or do you just believe it is literally pulling little pieces to, to bring the puzzle together? I think food industry newsletters out there and, you know, we probably all, all use them, everything, you know, Food Dive, Food Navigator, there's all sorts of general ones out there which are, which are good bite-sized looks at what's going on and I certainly use those. But I find linking those across platforms across um, information sources is what gives me the greatest insight. So like I say, blending what I generally see on Food Navigator and then going from there and looking at a synthetic biology newsletter and then getting their view on maybe the same topic or the same thing, because I certainly find it interesting when we look at things like plant-based and cell-based meats to read something from a, a meat industry perspective compared to a plant or based industry perspective. The same story I say from the from the meat yeah, industry. Okay. Only thirty percent of people are even interested in tasting these products. And the other one goes, Wow, thirty percent of people will buy these products. Thirty <laughs> percent of people aren't interested in this thirty percent will eat it is the headline in plant based. So it really is interesting to get the different perspectives. Because, I mean, I'm very much um, come at this from a technology point of view. I'm not a vegan or vegetarian. I'm flexitarian at best, long-term carnivore. I've been to abattoirs. <laughs> I've audited abattoirs. So I know what goes on in the meat industry. So I don't come at this from an ethical or moral point of view. I simply come at it from the point of view of what yep. are technologies, what are the potential impacts of these technologies, particularly on conventional animal agriculture, but other parts of the, the food industry as well. So it's very much, no, I'm, I'm not preaching any particular um, moral or ethical code. I'm just looking at it. Well, this is a technology. This technology is coming. Some of these people behind these technologies have moral and ethical um, viewpoints that they're pushing. That's up to them. But I'm simply interested in what's the impact of these technologies? What are they going to do to the food industry? Where are they going to drive the, the possible futures of the food industry? That's fantastic. And to go on to probably the headline event that everyone's probably been waiting for in this episode is how do you see the future unfolding in the next 10 to 20 years? What What's the stuff that you're piecing together? Um that you're going to the market and to customers saying, guys, you need to you need to be looking into this, well, otherwise it'll be here before you know it. By saying, ben, anyone who tells you that they can tell you the future is either a fool or a liar. No one, no one can predict the future. <laughs> what you can do is look at possible futures. So you know, go back to the the very topical one of you know of meat. You can look at two futures. One future is people take the yep. plant base, turns out to be a fad. No one wants to buy cell based meats, and 95% of all meat in the world still comes from animals. That's one possible future. The other possible future is people <laughs> totally reject meat. They don't want to see animals killed. This stuff turns out to be cheaper. Plant based is cheaper. Cell based is cheaper. It's healthier for you. And they are 95% of the market, and meat is 5%. Now, no one can say with certainty which of those two, if either of them, 
are going to be the future, but they are possible futures. And what you'd look at then is what will drive those futures. So it would be things like um, the cost, price and variety of plant-based products and cell-based products, the taste profiles. You can look at all sorts of things that will influence it. Government approach to these technologies. Will they simply continue to um, protect current industries or will they say, well, no, we're going to support both sides of these things so that we've got the opportunities, which is what I would like to see because I think that if we don't adopt some of these technologies in Australia, however disruptive they may be to some of our, our food industry, someone else will because like we mm. talked about before, this is now global. If we don't do it and then someone else in, let's say, in Africa, Nigeria takes up cell-based meat because we don't, and Nigeria can export meat to Australia cheaper than we can grow it on the hoof ourselves, what's going to happen to the Australian meat industry then? Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Yeah, you just you just never know these impacts because it, it could happen. No, what, as you say, it's in the future. Um, anything can happen and things can change at this yeah, ta- yeah, day no, and no, age very quickly. The, the, it's, it's, it's fascinating. To, to go from there, whilst you can't predict a same exact future, my feeling for where the future is going is ever-increasing personalisation. Everywhere you look, you see things being personalised. People are realising both in food and other things that they are individuals. I'm an individual and I want something that suits me. <laughs> For instance, in China, you can get online with Nike and you can personalise the shoe in the colours and features just for you. It'll cost you an extra 170 US dollars to do it, but you can personalise your shoes. You can get from the um, the, the beauty yep. company, L'Oreal, you can get online, choose a hair dye colour that you want just specifically for you and have it delivered to your door for 20 US dollars. So people want personalization all the way around. And we're seeing that in how many people are getting their DNA analyzed, how many people are getting their microbiome analyzed for their gut health. And people are realizing that you and I, Ben, could both eat a piece of chocolate. My blood glucose goes through the roof and yours almost does nothing. So, wow, that's different. We each eat an apple. Hmm. Mine does nothing. Yours goes through the roof from eating an apple. So you can eat chocolate, but you shouldn't eat as many apples. So that individual, our response to food is absolutely individual. And the days of people just, you know, going, okay, we're just going to eat the, you know, eat this food and we're all going to eat the same thing. Um, those days are gone. I mean, the one diet fits all. I mean, it has been thoroughly um, disproved, debunked. Now, there is no such thing as one diet. Anyone who thinks that, you know, the paleo diet, the keto diet is good for everybody is just simply not correct. None of the current research supports that. And our reactions to food is absolutely individual. Now, that's very difficult for any food company to make something for everyone. But what they might be able to do is make ranges of foods that are for certain what they call metabo types, metabolic types. So instead of having one tomato soup, you might have four tomato soups, which suit the metabolic types of four general groups of people. And then what you can do to get that last mile, that last personalization is, there's companies around, one's called Mixfit, 
where you can feed it your DNA, you can feed it your diet, your sleep patterns, your exercise and everything else. And it will then give you each morning a drink with the micronutrients that you need based on what you're eating. And you can even with other apps, you can take a picture of your food and that picture will then have has an AI attached to that app. And that will then work out what the calorie and nutritional content is of that plate of food without you having to write anything down because nobody keeps their food journal perfectly. But if all you've got to do is take a picture on your smartphone and it'll work it out for you. And then you get home at night and it says, Tony, you have been a naughty boy. You did not get your vitamin D today because I know from your wearable apps that you didn't get any sunlight. So I'm topping you up with a bit of vitamin D and you haven't had fish in the last two days, so you're getting some omega-3s in this one as well. And that's how you top up that last mile for personalization, because people are really into wellness. That's one of the big mega trends. And wellness used to be a hippie concept, you know, Byron Bay, you know, uh, beads and hippies, stuff that, not anymore. Wellness is now a well-established mega trend, and people are looking at not only just their health, their physical wellness, but they're saying their psychological wellness, their cognitive abilities, their concentration. They want to get the most out of their life, their whole life, the whole part of their life. And that's where this personalization comes in as well, the ability to address people's individual needs, to personalize things. And I think that is going to be the single overarching biggest driver for the food industry in the next 10, 20, 30 years is how do we personalize food as much as possible for each individual? That, that I think I think if you could if you could watch me now, Tony, and if the people listening have just listened to that, I've, I've got my mouth open just taking every word that you're saying in because that is some absolute fantastic knowledge and for someone who lives and breathes this world it, it's just absolutely fantastic that's like this, watching a movie uh, and i was just waiting for the ending uh, to work out what happened in the film so tony i don't think you understand how that last five minutes uh, the powerful words that you just said then uh, as to how the future of food yeah, looks I mean, and uh, it, it's it just so exciting so <laughs> yeah, yeah it's that I've seen in 30 years, you know, they say it's been relatively sleepy industry from a technology point of view, in, in my opinion, and not anymore. And I think it's just going to be an amazing time. The key thing is going to be keeping up with it because most of the food industry execs I talk to when I ask them, and how do you keep up with all the new technologies? They go, um, I can't. I just have enough trouble looking out six, 12, 18 months as to what's going on without trying to imagine 10 or 20 years in the future. And I think that's one of the reasons I've got into that food futurist side of things is to be able to provide some of those sorts of services to people because I have the time to keep up with it because it's basically my job, a lot of what I do, and being able to help people keep up to date as corporations and even as individuals. I even offer individual executive mentoring sessions on their industry on what the future of food is going to look like so that's that's where i'm trying to fit my market niche ben Perfect. 
Amazing. So to to jump on that, if if anyone did want to reach out and use your knowledge in their work base and um, oh, to yeah, well, have you present, what's the best way of getting in contact with you, Tony? Futuristforfood.com and my website is www.futuristforfood.com. There's a whole raft of content on there. I keep that up to date. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn and on Twitter as well. You can find me there. Um, and say so I've got a speakers page there and about them so sort of things that I'm available for. So thanks very much for letting me mention that. And no worries, and I'll be adding it into the the notes and also via the LinkedIn pages. So I. I can't wait to chat further, Tony. I'd love to chat to you again in the uh, in the year, um, just to see kind of where deve- developments are going. And uh, and I'm sure that from the feedback that we get from this episode, I'm sure uh, a lot of other people will be uh, keen to to hear more of your thoughts and opinions and uh, just just knowledge bombs after knowledge bombs. So thank you very much for your time, Tony. It's uh, <laughs> we'll we'll ra- yep. wind that up. Uh, nicely and I know you've got to get on and uh, absolutely fantastic to have you on the on the show and uh, I can't wait for people yeah, well, to look, uh, I, bring back the feedback on uh, what they thought of the, the episode eat food for their personal wellness their, their physical health uh, their mental health cognitive health and so on what industry are food companies in I'm not going to answer that one till you till you bring me back. I'm going to have to think about that one, and uh, we'll go. For, we'll go. Uh, we're going to have to get you back, Tony. That's all I know. No problems, Ben. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye.